Welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, Jean. And V. We interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Dave Schleifsman. Hello, everybody. Woo! Hi, Dave. Hello. Hey, Jean. It's, uh, How's it going? Good to reconnect after all these years. It's been a while. Yeah, we were just talking about how we uh, we had spoken on the phone like eight years ago, and uh, I was hoping to work for CloudKit. I don't remember what happened. I think there was just I think I got busy and something. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, but... I, your work was so even I was so iconic then. Like you had such a perspective then that it like you know just Gene Goldstein. It's like yeah, it's that that guy. Like all oh. through following you on Twitter. And all over these years, it's like, I still remember that conversation. So you left a very, you left a good impression on me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, no, I've always been aware of you. And like, you've had such a crazy career uh, track. Like, yeah, you started a studio uh, called Cloud Kid. And uh, I, I used your plugins like a lot. Like the, the plugins you guys were putting out were so helpful for Flash, which is now Animate, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and now you're at Netflix Interactive. There's stuff in between. I'll let you talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, yeah. So so my name's Dave Schlafman. I'm currently a director of design at, at Netflix. And my team and I are focusing on building new types of experiences uh, on Netflix. And so how can we use, kind of give storytellers uh, new tools to tell stories they've never been able to tell before. And then kind of that's, that's our mandate. So it's really, it's been amazing. But the way I got here is super, super unique in, in kind of, I like branches and, and just, I, you know, it's like, I've had mm -hmm. a very weird career growth but at the same time it makes a lot of sense for what i'm doing today yeah everything careers are always weird huh <laughs> there's no there's no like straight line it's all just zigzags and loop it's true it's true yeah I, yeah i don't know i like i still am like uh like how did i get here from like doodling to now working in at the intersection of technology in design and animation and content production it's like all started just from like bad doodles in my sketchbook yeah well you are an artist and yeah let's talk about that so like where did you kind of when did you start kind of getting into art and uh what were your like goals initially when you were kind of growing up so uh so i grew up in the 80s and uh mm -hmm. i lived in la actually for a couple of years when i was like four three four and five and I'll never forget in 84, so I was about five years old, I had an older sister and she watched MTV all the time. And Michael Jackson's thriller came out and obviously it was this huge nice. cultural moment that left this like massive impression on me as a kid. But it wasn't the video, even though the video is iconic and I love the song, it was a huge Michael Jackson fan as a, as a young kid. It was actually the making of Michael Jackson thriller. Oh, interesting. John Landis was the director. And it was basically this like 30 minute, 45 minute documentary of how they produced Michael Jackson Thriller. And as mm -hmm. a five-year-old seeing like Rick Baker do the makeup and the choreography of the dances and, you know, just the, how they put it all together as even as a five-year-old, I remember that was the moment in my life where I was like, I want to make shit <laughs> yeah. at five years old. And so from there, I just remember as a kid, you know, drawing all the time. You know, I was the kid that drew on everything. I didn't pay attention in class. I drew on notebooks, drew in my books, um, was, you know, probably much like the both of you where I was pegged as like the, the art, kid in my class you were the drawer yeah i was the yeah. i was the i was the drawer so so from there i mean honestly just like cartoons were just a part of my life like every day after school because we didn't have netflix where you could come home and pick whatever you wanted to watch it was like you would get home from school you know 2 30 school would end i would come home i would turn on the television and watch disney afternoon so it was mm -hmm. a lineup of you know uh tailspin darkwing duck uh gummy bears and then the crown jewel of course was duck tails mm -hmm. and so i think you know just 
constant diet of cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, uh, Looney Tunes, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse Christmas. There's a there's a famous short with Huey, Dewey, Louie and, and um, Donald uh, with the snowball fight. I probably watched that a hundred times, maybe a thousand times as a kid. So very much burned into my uh, youth and DNA was watching cartoons. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so then like what uh, what kind of led you where did you go to art school or did you go to art school? So actually? I did go to art school, but it's interesting. So I did okay. well in in high school and art was always kind of secondary. So, you know, I was into, you know, I, I ran track and, you know, I was like a typical high school. But on the side, I would draw. None of my friends were artists, but I always at, on like weekends and stuff. I still always kept a sketchbook. And I, I was, you know, I won art awards in, 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 in high school, but it wasn't, I wasn't serious about it. And so I graduated high school and I was like, well, I can't go to art school. Cause if you go to art school, what the hell are you going to do after art school? <laughs> so I went to liberal arts school for a year and I was studying political science or psychology. And at the end of the year, I basically worked at a summer camp in, in, was running the arts and crafts program. And so I was just drawing all day, every day. And this is, this story is going to sound so awful. I went, oh, I went to see the movie Hercules with the camp and I'm like sitting in the movie theater yeah. and Hercules. It's just like, I don't know why these moments, it's like these moments pick you, you don't pick of like the thing that sure. has that moment, but Hercules sitting there in the theater was like, I want to make cartoons. I was like, that's great. This is what I was meant to do. And I like the next day I called my dad from the camp and said, dad, I'm not going back. <laughs> Damn. Wow. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I I've decided I'm going to take a year off, make a portfolio and I want to go to art school. And he was super supportive. And, 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 oh, and so I ended up doing night classes at Massachusetts college of art and design in Boston it's actually started a small animation program while I was there. And so then I, I was at, I was at mass art and I studied animation because I had extra credits. I was able to study animation. And then also this funky me, uh, major called SIM, which is the studio for interrelated media. So, hmm, okay. so yeah, so I, I did in my art school experience was amazing. SIM was such a weird major, uh, actually, you know, um, people working in the industry, you know, went to mass art. So Alex and Lindsay Small Butera went to mass mm -hmm. art. Uh, Casey Leonard, okay. who's at Nickelodeon supervising producer on the upcoming Rugrats show, uh, was supervising director on uh, Breadwinners. Uh, there's like actually a, a pretty good contingent of mass artians out in the world right now, animation world thriving. So, Damn. Um, so that was cool. But in, in college, I was in this major called sim and the idea is you come up with a with a uh, a concept and then you find the best medium to express that idea so it was like everything from like musicians to spoken word artists to crazy performance artists to uh people building installations to filmmakers and and everything in between computer programmers and so i dabbled in kind of everything and it was super collaborative and it was like okay i'm not the best musician so i'm gonna make a film and then go find a a, a friend to go make music for my film or i'm putting i'm producing a show and i'll design the flyers but then i need somebody to do like the tech or you know get the mm -hmm. lineup together and so it taught me as an artist to be super scrappy and kind of find people that are so much better at, than I am at things. And so, yeah, that's the trick to it. <laughs> it was awesome. It was like, it was again, yeah. I, I, I loved my art school experience. That's good. We don't hear that often enough. Yeah, I that's feel like... true. And that's like really interesting to hear like kind of that you, you went to a school that is not like the typical like animation school right like mm -hmm. it was a little bit more interconnected between or from what you're saying it sounds like it's a little bit more interconnected between all the majors well it, so this program is unique there was so i also double majored in animation 
in my graduating class, I graduated in 2004, long time ago. And, you know, this was before Facebook and Twitter and right. YouTube. Right. I mean, this is like, feels like the stone age of, of kind of where, where everybody <laughs> is now. But one thing that was cool is we were the first class of, of animators to graduate for mass art. And so I did kind of the more commercial track for animation of, you know, making films, how do you market yourself, put together a portfolio. And then Sim was kind of this radical kind of like more art school mentality of hack and mess around and come up with crazy ideas and then put them out in the world. So it kind of in a way complements, again, my path to where I am now at Netflix kind of sits right in between those two worlds. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, I've never heard about that program. So that's definitely good to put out there. I don't know. I also feel like yeah. maybe I loved my art school experience because it, it was, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so it was, you know, and I went to liberal arts school and it was like, fuck that, not that, this. And so I was there to just like make stuff and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Having, having a goal is good. I, I do feel like, yeah, having that moment when you... I don't know when you have like the earliest someone can have like that eureka moment that it's like okay this is what i'm gonna commit to do it makes it like a lot more fun and enjoyable to actually like study whatever it is that one person has like picked right like whereas like going there because it's like oh i guess we're supposed to go to animation school if we want to do animation right like that's like a very different mentality totally but like here's the thing because sim was this kind of like misfit major i was in i was in classes with people that were like doing really like poetic and thoughtful and experimental work and here i was on the side like drawing a bunch of fucking doodles and so i was super <laughs> self-conscious where i was trying to say like oh, yeah. is this art and i was like struggling internally so i was trying to do a, experimental projects and finally i I wasn't super secure of like, okay, there is just like, I can use my doodles to tell stories. There was still that struggle in myself. So even though I had that eureka moment watching Hercules is as awful as it sounds. No, dude, Hercules is great. I love Hercules. I haven't, I don't think that's bad at all. No, no, no. I I, I still have a a, a warm place in my heart for Hercules. Anyways. Yeah, Hercules. I watched it recently. It's pretty good. It's good. Mm-hmm. I like it. Danny DeVito. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love uh, Danny DeVito? I, I don't know. <laughs> Awful people. <laughs> but it was, yeah. So I struggled and then it was like, so it wasn't like I had everything figured out. I still, and then a, a huge changing point is I read a book. I believe the, the, the fellow's name is Alan Newworth wrote a book called Making Tunes. And again, this was like if you wanted to learn about animation, you couldn't just go on Google and like search everything, you know? And so it was this book that kind of took you through the shows of the time, like creator driven shows. I remember reading that book and it would say like, basically took the production process uh, of like development all the way through like show launch. And you took a piece like uh, pitching in it you know, it was like the Powerpuff Girls story of how Powerpuff Girls got made and it started the Whoopass Girls. And, and so it was like, oh, that's cool. And then it took like character design and it was like, you know, Dexter's Lab. And, and then another one was like Pilot and it was SpongeBob SquarePants. And so it was like, I was like, oh man, this is what I want to do. So I was getting stuff outside of my curriculum uh, from school of just my passion of wanting to make cartoons. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the transition to starting your own studio and stuff. Like what were sort of the, what was the path that led you there? Cause that's, that's a, that's lofty. That's a, that's like a big thing yeah, to undertake. Yeah. So I would say my, my early career was again, kind of winding and I was very frust- frustrated in that I didn't know what I wanted to do. Even though I was like, Oh, I want to make cartoons. I didn't know how to get there. So I actually applied after college to Cal arts and I didn't get in mm-hmm. surprise, surprise mm-hmm. for grad school. So for experimental animation, And I remember getting the rejection letter and it was actually this like clarifying moment where it was like, okay, I I took a year off from after college. I made a portfolio applied, got rejected. And I remember going for a run thinking to myself, 
like, okay, the CalArts thing isn't happening. How the fuck am I going to break into the industry? Like, I remember mm -hmm. thinking that. And so I just started, like, I worked in video games at Harmonix for a little bit, uh, worked on Karaoke Revolution as an animator. I, oh, neat. <laughs> I then just started directing films and trying to find my voice. I was putting aside three and four hour sketchbook sessions a day. I was writing, wow. I was just making, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was super poor, um, basically just finding a way to pay my rent. And then I got an opportunity to redesign and kind of develop characters for Trivial Pursuit for Kids. So it was like, I got this like nice chunk of money that would fund me for about a year while I was working on this project with Hasbro. And I just started making DVDs and sending them out to like studios. And I got an email back from, from Soup to Nuts, which was a small studio in Boston. Mm -hmm. And they were like, hey, we love your stuff. We'd love you to come in. So I actually started, I got my first animation gig like three years after, after I graduated college. And I was there for two years and did everything from character design on Assy McGee. I was assistant director on Word Girl for Man. the first season yeah. or two doing storyboards. Uh, and then I would also, they'd have RFPs and I started pitching ideas and uh, concepts for the studio and actually got to direct about 25 shorts for a PBS kids show called Between the Lions. These They were these interstitial shorts from like one to two minutes long. And so like overnight, I was like writing and directing and art directing and I had a team. And again, it took me back to, uh, to uh, Sim where it was like, holy shit, I have like animation designers and character designers and animators who are infinitely more talented than I am. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, after two years at the studio, I realized that Soup to Nuts, just for whatever reason, it, it was a subsidiary of Scholastic, the way they were organized. I just didn't feel like it was an artist driven studio. And so I didn't leave with the idea of I'm going to start a studio. I was like, like I want to leave to kind of work on my own projects. And then Right. To co you know, co-created a kid's cooking show called Fizzy's Lunch Lab with a friend of mine from Soup to Nuts. Mm -hmm. And we ended up winning, you know, a very large half million dollar grant from the U.S. Department of Education. Wow. Ooh. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I guess this has to happen. And so, yeah, that's <laughs> happening. And so it, what was cool, it was actually an interact, it was an interactive show. And so I called up my best friend from mass art, who is a, uh, who is a engineer at Disney interactive. He moved back and we started cloud kid, uh, to produce fizzy's lunch lab and produce the first season of Fizz. like, okay. Um, uh, people just started, you know, coming to us and saying, Hey, we have this project and we, you know, grew the studio over the course of the next, you know, six, seven years to almost, you know, 18 full-time employees, two part-time employees, oh, wow. uh, worked with literally hundreds of artists and freelancers and musicians all around the world, producing everything from content to games, apps, websites. And uh, yeah, it was great. It, it's happened so quickly. Uh, but then by like 2012, we were like neck deep in like a studio with overhead. These are all the boring words like cash flow and overhead and line of sure, credit, yeah. all the shit I didn't want to do in running a studio, but was still having to do. Yeah, oh, the, wow. the business side of it is exhausting. I'm kind of figuring that out right now with some yeah. of my own stuff. Yeah, it's hard, man. It's a lot. Were you creatively involved in stuff still, or did you kind of get bogged down by the bureaucracy? No, I mean, I still managed, you know, I think there were definitely some projects where I shouldn't have been as involved as I was. I've learned a lot since then. Mm -hmm. And then I think I had some of my pet projects. So, you know, I was still pretty involved with Fizzy's Lunch Lab. We ended up going on to make, you know, a hundred, almost a hundred animated shorts for that, you know, two to five minutes long. Uh, ended up making, you know, 20 games for that project, a website, you know, 100 recipes for each short. And that was like super fun. But then we also, we had, you know, we produced two pilots for Nick Digital. Uh, called, one was called Bro Duel. 
And then the other one was Earth yeah. Allen. Uh, I know mm-hmm. Louis Zong worked on both of them. They both had like, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, crazy people worked on them. I mean, just like super talented. John Lauren, who's like has a big following on Twitter. Louis Zong. I didn't know that he worked on those. That's I, that's crazy. I don't I don't think he mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, he's he's done a shitload. I mean, he's he's a machine. Yeah. He's like I I yeah. actually yeah. coined. I like gave him the nickname Boy Genius because he was yeah. like 19 graduated college you know had like you could just tell it was going to be a superstar so yeah, yeah i i straight up think louis might be some kind of genius <laughs> like yeah, you me don't too. Mm-hmm. you don't produce that much work and he's got that like weird thing where he we're just gushing about louis it's okay <laughs> it's, he he deserves everything yeah he he like he doesn't stop to think think about what he's doing which is like that's i don't know to me that's like crazy because i overthink everything and he just makes shit and like to me that's the sign of a genius because he like he's just putting out work he doesn't care what it is it's just he's just working and it's like that's insane i don't know anyway yeah yeah Yeah. he he is i mean he is he's great he he and that and honestly (laughs) like you know and, and and yeah so we that was the best part of cloud kid is like the 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 team that we assembled and the people we got to work with like at the end of the day that's the thing that i still loved about my time um running a studio is just again that theme of finding super creative talented people and how can they elevate everything that that you work on mm-hmm yeah it, i mean i think that when everyone i feel like i knew a lot of people that would leave college and be like i'm gonna start a studio it's like a thing that everyone wants to do because everyone wants agency over like their career and their projects but i think everyone quickly realizes that the the just the task of like maintaining that is like insane like it's it's way more like you said it's overhead it's all these things that are like not fun and just trying to find projects to stay afloat and like everything the, the bigger you get the harder it is to maintain but we were successful i mean that's the thing is like you know i think the the highs were so high right like i think mm-hmm. you know uh, we were nominated for th- you know like five emmy awards and different for different projects we you know had two nick digital pilots we had a show in development at cartoon network where we got to do the entire like, you know, production board pitch. It didn't move forward, but it was like these experiences sure. were amazing and got to work with just awesome clients. Like PBS Kids was an amazing client. We developed original content for Hoda Mifflin, animated content for Hoda Mifflin, got to work mm-hmm. on a animated project with Jason Siegel for his book, uh, for his book series. So it was like those highs were amazing, but the challenges of like, Literally, I remember we were at this point where we didn't get like we 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 didn't get an RFP for a game project. And it was like, can we squeak by over the next month or we're going to have to lay some, you know, a couple people off. And like those nights of like laying in bed and like thinking about these people who I genuinely cared about, just the stress of it was was it was a lot yeah yeah it takes it takes a lot to run a team and run a business like it it, yeah it's it's more than just creativity and like even project management there's there's so much more to it just gotta have this like ironclad fucking uh constitution what what kind of ended up turning you off of the idea like because eventually uh you left cloud yeah i mean Again, we had had so much success. We were profitable. Um, but what it came down to is a couple things. There were two things. One is that in order to grow the studio from, you know, you know, 20 people to 40 people just was not the problems or the, the, the things I wanted p- to be focusing my time on, right? It was like, mm-hmm. I want to be closer to creative. I want to be making stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a personal thing of mine. I was also working 70 hour weeks. The team wasn't, we, we actually Oof. did like gr- a great job at kind of work-life balance for the team, 
but my partner mm-hmm. and I were working around the clock and it just, I had my second kid, it wasn't sustainable. And so we were just like, we built this amazing team. Can we get somebody to kind of see the talent here and acquire as much of the team as possible? So we made the decision to just start talking to companies. And we were like, we have this awesome team. We build tools. We understand story. We understand technology. We understand character development. And so we talked to everybody from like nine story up in Canada to Tokaboka to uh, Sego Mini up in Canada app companies. And then Jibo, we knew the founder, uh, Cynthia from the MIT Media Lab, super famous, brilliant roboticist. And um, they had started Jibo and they were expanding their team. And so they were like, we need people that understand character development and personality development and tools and in animation. And so uh, they ended up acquiring, you know, 12 of our staff. So, so, so explain what Jibo is because people yeah, might yeah, yeah. not Thank know. you. So Jibo is a social robot. So imagine, and again, this was 2016. We, we closed up shop beginning January of 16. Jibo mm-hmm. is essentially an Alexa, but with a personality and a three axis motor. So super expressive motion was designed by this brilliant animator, actually Sheridan, went to Sheridan up in Canada. His name's Fardad Faridi, Um, amazingly brilliant animator designed the actual robot. And so the idea is that instead of this little like plastic tube sitting on your counter, it's actually a like, imagine like, uh, like Luxo Jr. You know, who can respond to you and um, have personality. Yeah, we'll throw it up on screen so people see what it looks like because it, it yeah. is very well designed. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And so <clears throat> that was a fucking trip that year, 14 months that I, I was there, the whole the team was there because I think it was you know much more of a tech environment where I think the a lot of the people from CloudKid added so much personality. And I think Jibo's personality was the thing that I think actually put Jibo on the map and who he was. So I brought in a writer named Adam Shankoff, who's super funny guy, became the writer for Jibo. You know, uh, Kim Hoy, who's an amazing illustrator, animator. She was a, you know, lead designer there. And so we did bring a lot of creativity to Jibo, Mm -hmm. but just the technical side, the robot was so just not in a place to be able to do much. So it was a very frustrating year where in animation, you can work really quickly and you can get ideas and you can experience them even with games, but not robots, man. Those things, those take, take a long time to build. And so what, what year was this that you guys were working? 2016. So the entire year I, we signed with Jibo in November of 15 and, uh, Mm -hmm. and then I left January of Set well January of seventeen to join Netflix. So, but that year was amazing. It was like being at Jibo was one of the most creative years of my life, but also frustrating. Only in that it's like you're making a fucking robot, and it's like how many? Yeah, that's that's sick. (laughs) That's great. Even though it didn't work, it was awesome. Yeah, that is that is really cool. That's such a that's such an interesting jump to go from like operating a studio to working on on this robot like that's that, i don't think we're gonna get anybody else that that has done that that's i know a... right i feel like robots i love robots it's like one of my favorite kind of like things you think about for stories and stuff so i think that's oh, so yeah. cool that you actually worked on a real robot that's true and in 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 gene i know you've probably seen some of my doodles which i'll give you some if you throw up on the screen like oh please you know i love drawing robots more than anything in the world and Mm so i think you know i again bringing a object to life that can respond to external stimuli such as sound or motion or you know is just like it was amazing it was so cool yeah, what ended up happening with that project? So Jibo launched, um, and part of the reason okay. I, I left is because I felt like we kept not delivering on our deadlines as a company. Mm. And so there was that, and then the price of the robot was $900. Whoa. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was like, 
I felt like, well, at that yeah, point, tough. you're like in like a, you know, you're like buying computers and smartphones and washers and dryers and large screen TVs. But, you, you know, we were expecting people to buy a robot that couldn't do a, yeah. a quarter of what Alexa could do. So it's yeah. like a, yeah, it's like a luxury yeah. purchase. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Cause yeah, that, I'm sure you guys put a lot of work in and, but it's, that's, that's robotics, I guess. It's just, <laughs> but that's anything, right? Like in some ways, I, this is why I love animation. I love just create like the pursuit of, you know, part of being a creator is not the destination. It's the process of going through it and the learnings. And mm -hmm. so for me, that's the thing in my career is like every step has been like, what did I take away from it? How is this making me a better storyteller or artist or thinker? And so Jibo again, while super frustrating, it's like that. And it's like my, you know, the projects at Nickelodeon that didn't go through or Cartoon Network development project. Like I learned so much from those projects and still have like, you know, I, there's no bitter feelings. Like I know it's like hitting the lottery and, you know, so I try to not go in with it as much angst if, if things don't happen. You have such a better attitude than I do about, about all of that. <laughs> well, I guess it's also like, Dave, you've just gone through so many of this iterations, right? Of like so many pitches, you've pitched so much cause you've pitched for, like you said, you got a government grant and then you pitched your mm -hmm. like uh, Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. And basically for, for even Jibo, you guys were pitching ideas all the time. So I guess mm -hmm. like you kind of build that resilience of like pitching. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. I mean, and it's like, yeah, like it's like you need a tough skin to be in animation. And it's like, you know, you know, Jorge Gutierrez came. Uh, I had Jorge come and speak to the Netflix design team on Wednesday. And, you know, somebody who's like, you know, Jorge, it's like TV show, feature film, you know, he, he you know, stop. like, yeah. VR. I mean, we're talking like, you know, if, if anybody has had success and, you know, even Jorge has had canceled project after canceled project, rejection, rejection. Yeah. It's just, it, it's part of the growth yeah. and like learning uh, mm -hmm. process. Sucks though. It's, yeah, it's yeah, definitely... Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, animation chews you up, and it's uh, you have to really like be prepared for that. That's something I like. I I thought I was prepared for that. I don't know if I was. And whoever's listening, like, if you want to pitch stuff, like, do it. But like, just I feel like you should always be ready. Maybe this sounds dramatic, but you should always be ready to fail. Mm -hmm. And I think that like it'll be easier to deal with, and you can just move on if you're if you're not like shooting for for everything to be a big. Success. The other thing too, I fully fully agree with with Eugene. I would say the yeah, thing yeah, too that I've seen both earlier in my career is you come up with an idea and then you like hold on to that idea for so long, and you're like keep yeah. revising that idea. Like sometimes just get the learnings from what you learned from that idea and move on. And it's not to say that yes. like, don't believe in your idea. It's just like that you, I can guarantee you your next thing will be better. That's something that I don't think we've said enough on here is the like, yeah, go ahead. V. I actually, yeah, I agree with that a lot because for me, I relate to that to like the storyboarding process when you you know, like for example, you, you're trying to board a scene and then you're doing a lot of thumbnails, but a lot of the thumbnails that you're gonna draw, you're gonna like um, scrap anyway. And then mm -hmm. you're gonna pitch it to your director and the director is gonna like give you notes and then you're gonna like pitch it to like the supervising director and all that. So like, there's always like that idea that like you have to be ready for like, not everything that you do will be <laughs> used, but that's yeah. good because usually every single time that you scrap something you've learned something and then the next stab at it has more what's the word like energy or just like a better there's like a looseness to it. yeah you you gotta try to stay loose when you're in animation you gotta both just like in the day-to-day -day, but also in like any kind of project anything you're pitching whatever i think it's just better to stay loose i agree and you know but just, here's the thing yeah rejection is never easy like i i don't want to say yeah. like i'll never forget getting the email from 
uh, Katie Krentz, who I loved working with at Cartoon Network, where she was like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, we've, we all love the, you know, we loved you guys. We actually think you guys should be working on Cartoon Network shows, but we're passing. And I remember being like, fuck, like, you know, it's, you feel so close. I know yeah. Gene, you've gone through it. It's like, you feel like Ugh. there are only so many slots to, to like even do that. And you get so close and then it's like, okay, I got to just move on to that next thing. But it's still not easy. Like, I, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, it was nothing. I like, was like, okay, what's my next idea? There were some days of like, looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of days. But it's, it's just like the, um, the, the grief process, right? Or like the, it's a grief process. You know, it's like, what, the steps, what are the steps? Like five of them, like denial and then like anger and then like, anger. All, you know, like all of these. Yeah, like, I like that one. <laughs> I heard it in your voice. You're like, anger. Anger. <laughs> uh, like, like yeah. And then all these. It's like, it's just like, yeah, losing an idea is very close to like losing. I don't know, like yeah. a pet or, you know, some. Uh, nothing gets lost. That's I think it's also important is that it's like, it's just that that opportunity didn't it didn't work out with that studio whatever but most of the time hopefully you can take it yeah, and, too. Oh, yeah. you know I, and I'll, I'll tell you one more story because again like it's like oh well, you please, know, yeah. oh here's this guy that like just easily jumped through his career to like these things like before fizzy's lunch lab happened i started flying out to la right so this was like two, right after i left mm-hmm. soup to nuts and I'll never forget, I like created this like two minute teaser for this alien wrestling show called Alien vs. Alien. And I remember going to Cartoon Network. And at the time, I'm not going to say the executive's name. He's not there anymore. And I remember like meeting mm-hmm. with this guy pitching the show. And he basically was like, <sighs> and I was like, oh man, what the, f- what the hell does this mean? And he's like, hell? you know, mm. I hate basically I'm paraphrasing, but it is kind of burned in my brain. He said, I hate when people fly all the way out to California for this. And I was like, cause I flew out from Massachusetts and it was like, mm-hmm. it was this moment where it was like, I could have folded and just been like, I'm not cut out for animation. I can't do it. But instead I was like, fuck, like, I'm not going to let one person you know, say like, just cause this idea isn't great and it wasn't a great pitch. It was like, I'm going to keep going. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn. I can't, I can't let this guy get under my skin. Uh, even though in the moment it was a brutal, uh, like, you know, it was one of those things where my, my, I feel like my, my stomach leaked through my toes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a brutal thing to say. Like, do you, like, do you think that that person meant like, that it like it's a lot to put on someone to fly out all the way to LA to like that it's like too big of a gamble or is it just like or was it something about that it was it was I think both I think the quality of where I was just you know and but he he was not like he definitely meant that and you know it was it was hard like but but yeah. again, then I met, I went to Disney in that same trip and I met with Jay Francis, who's, you know, an executive at Disney, who I'm still, I was messaging with him two days ago, who's, you know, was a mentor of mine for a couple of years, who was super, mm-hmm. in, you know, encouraging through my career. And so it's about finding those development allies, even if you don't land a pitch with them, who are supportive and understand your voice and willing to just hear you out and help you grow. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a balance. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to appease anybody. Yeah. But yeah, that was a hard pitch that um, I will never forget. Oh my god. <gasps> so, uh, so you, yeah, I've I've had some bad ones. I, I yeah, I don't want to say who it is because I actually like them. But I, I went, I did the same thing where I flew to L.A. for a pitch, and it was like you didn't have to fly out here for this, and I was like, I didn't, and you know, they they meant well, but it was kind of like. Yeah. All right. Oh, because they like like it was implying like oh this could have been like a Zoom call kind of thing. It could have been yeah. Well, it was a little while ago, but it was uh yeah. I think I could have just sent stuff in. I see. And probably would you know I would have gotten the same answer. Me being there didn't help it at all. 
And so that was disappointing because I thought I was doing the right thing. But that's just you. you but know, I think it's like, you that's learn. something good for like the listeners to hear out. It's yeah. like it's totally cool to like pitch through Zoom or like uh, Google Meet or like Especially send, now. send in. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, for me as like an international one, I was in France. I actually pitched to a couple of like, I pitched to Frederator, I pitched to Nickelodeon through well you know webcam because like i wasn't going to fly from france all the way to la no, <laughs> and God. and you know like i actually at the time well i had a pitch there they, they kind of like were like uh oh, we don't know and i followed up was like hey if you guys have any notes or whatever just let me know and i'd love to address them and they actually gave notes which i think is something that is uh I guess like an important thing to say is like, hey, you know, like you might pitch and it might not go well and like maybe just keep like that's yeah. just like a way to break the ice and be like, hey, like we've met. Can we talk about cartoons more through email? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, meeting in person helps because you're building the connection more. So, oh, yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It really does. So it's it's up to, the, you know, it's up to whoever whoever is doing the pitching it's like if you're okay with it being potentially a flop but as long as you've like yeah. try to line up a bunch of things you know like at least like i definitely had some other stuff lined up when i came to la i don't know jay francis i remember early in my time said it's better to be working at home depot in los angeles than it is in boston and he's from boston <laughs> yeah, but, and so yeah. i that always stuck through my head even at cloud kid at, towards the end we actually one of our options that my partner and i were kind of working through is do we relocate cloud kid to la oh right you know that's a big move yeah but yeah so uh so yeah so you were on uh, you were working on Jibo, um, and then what kind of led to you working at Netflix? Yeah, so uh, a friend of mine at from kind of PBS Kids Circles, uh, the technology side for like kids media, she was director of product innovation at Netflix. And she reached out to me while I was at Jibo and said, hey, Dave, we have this role that I think would be perfect for you. And so I was like, okay, I'm like, tell me more. And she said, well, I can't tell you what we're working on, but what I can tell you is that yeah. it's kind of at the intersection of design, content production and technology. And we want to give creators the new, you know, a new way of telling stories. And we need you to be able to work with content creators and help them understand how to tell these stories. And so I was like, Cool. And she said, and most of the stories we're going to get started with are in actually, they're going to be animated. They're going to be cartoons. So I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And so they flew me out to, you know, the Bay area where Netflix is headquartered and, you know, uh, sat in a single room for eight hours for the Netflix gauntlet interview process which was amazing. Oh Actually, it was awesome. There's like brainstorms and super creative, super smart people. Wow. And uh, they made me an offer. And I was like, this feels like Netflix is a super interesting company trying to do really ambitious things. And so I was like, what the hell? I'm moving to California. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I ended up. Um, and again, it was just, again, the right time, right place at the right time where this was this this initiative for interactive content was just getting started and they were looking for somebody to kind of bring a perspective um, from the design side who had a content background and so uh, i was lucky because i wouldn't hire myself right now again hiring people that are better than you who can amplify what the team is doing that's again a theme that's gone throughout my my career. So, um, mm -hmm. so now my team is amazing. So now that, you know, we've grown a bit and, um, working on a bunch of different stuff, but yeah, it's been awesome. What was the first project that you jumped on? Onto? So Puss in Book with DreamWorks was already past development. It was in production. And so, um, mm -hmm. that was the first one, Buddy Thunderstruck. I was able to work with Ryan, uh, Wiesbrock, um, in Stupid Buddy towards the down, the kind of tail end of that. And then I was much more involved on the development side for, you know, things like Stretch Armstrong, The Breakout and Uverse Wild and Bandersnatch, Carmen Sandiego, To Steal or Not to Steal. So those ones, because it was 
just me and a couple other people. I was starting to build out my team. And Mm -hmm. so now I don't work on anything, unfortunately, you know, now my role is Mm. how do we, how do we get better at this? How do we continue to innovate and explore, Mm. you know, explore new types of stories, new genres. And so I'm focused, literally my conversations are like, what are we doing in 2023? So it's exciting um, where the team is very much like they get to work on all the fun stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is sort of your day to day? Like, what kind of role do you have on the team? Because you're a director, but you're a director of a department and it's kind of an abstract concept that almost seems like where it's like, you know, interactive. And what does that mean within the structure of Netflix? So kind of what do you what do you feel like you do? (laughs) What what do you do? What What do you you do do up there? up in that tower um so it's probably easier to think about what does the team do so thinking about okay now what happens when you can have a bunch of different uh, imagine them as video clips and you can put an interface on top of that and the interface can jump to multiple places within those segments right and so when you have that technology what type of stories can you tell And so the team is focused really on two areas of how can we continue to expand that kind of palette for storytellers and um, how do we coach, you know, content creators and give them the skills to tell these types of stories. So uh, we have narrative designers on the team who actually partner with these external content creator teams and they have brainstorms with them. They onboard them with our tools and they read scripts and they're part of the development process and the production process and throughout from development through launch on our service. So they're designers who are super involved in that content process. Um, and then you have other designers who are focused just on, uh, on new, new features of how can Netflix continue to innovate on interactive storytelling and interactive TV. Mm-hmm. So you guys are kind of taking the tech side and almost acting as a middleman between the creative and the tech. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. You said it much better than I used. <laughs> well, I'm trying to breathe. Yeah, it's perfect. I just find that so interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, I've seen. I don't know how much we can talk about it, but I've I've gone. I've been to Netflix and I've seen um, some of the stuff you guys are working on. I don't know how much you can say about like Battle Kitty or anything, because it's, it's it's been announced. I think right. Yeah, it's been announced. I can't I can't say much, but we are working on Battle Kitty sure. with uh, the brilliant Matt Lazell and um, mm-hmm, again mm-hmm. Dream Project. And that's honestly that's one of the things I love about this initiative is that you can take somebody like a Charlie Brooker for, you know, Black Mirror. Um, you can take a Matt right. Lazell, a Tina Fey. We're talking like people that are at the top of their games, DreamWorks, you know, the boss baby team at DreamWorks. And, and you say, okay, here's this new tool set. What do you want to make? Mm-hmm. And that's again, Again, the theme, how do you partner with the best people in the world and give them tools and let them tell the story in a way that you can never tell that story? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like obsessed with that idea because I I love, I mean, I grew up loving video games and, and animation. And I feel like there's that, that intersection is like so cool. And just from what I've seen and, and the stuff that's already out, like there's so much potential there. I think that some people might not understand just how difficult it is to pull that off because when you have multiple paths, you have to create every single one of those paths. Like yeah. you, mm-hmm. every single one of those options has to exist. And mm-hmm. so that's twice as much work as it would be if it was just, you know, an hour and a half long movie. You're basically, you're basically making a three hour long movie if it's, if it's a movie and a show I mean, it's possible that people won't see entire episodes, I think. Like, it's, so it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of work, but it's such a cool setup because it's like people get to 
interact with their media. Like that's so cool. And I think the hope is that it is, it's, it's more work. And in some ways there is a part of my team or the team that is focused on what we say like workflow and tools where they're creating, we we've created this tool called branch manager that is essentially a tool that you can design a, a flow, which is essentially the blueprint of a story. You can mm -hmm. uh, type in like outline text. Uh, then you can also import scripts from Final Draft. You can import videos. And so this program has made the process so much easier for storytellers so that they can focus on what they know, which is the writing and the producing of the content. It's definitely harder, but we are making a really, uh, we are designing, you know, what that production experience is. So it's easier for these partners. So it's not really like yeah, a two to, you know, you're producing twice the content. We're trying to find ways mm -hmm. that it, it, it isn't as laborious as that. Right. Make, make it a little more efficient. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember uh, after watching Bandersnatch, I think there was there was some behind the scenes stuff about that, and I was like, my God, that's so much to just like keep track of. But yeah, definitely having those tools probably it does. Helps a lot. It does. Uh, it's an, it's really amazing how much it it does help. Real quick, how we'd love to ask you about Creative Block. That's the name of our show, and how do you deal with it, and how does it look like for you? Um, it's, it's a great question. So for me, I mean, you know, you can't see my, my office here, but I, I have tons and tons and tons of books. I mm -hmm. I've, I've been off Instagram for about a year and a half now because I was, I oh, was so lucky. honestly, I was so overwhelmed by the amount of talent. I'm being totally honest is like, that's the positive take on it. There's that, you know, people are like, oh, Instagram's amazing. But then I'm like, well, I have this, you know, eight to five, nine to six job where I then I want to be making more than I am. And then I go on Instagram and it's mm -hmm. just like the amount of amazing stuff that's coming out of people right now. And so I've actually found that though that tends to like not inspire me as much. So I still mm -hmm. like, I, I need that dose of inspiration. So I, I have a giant book collection of, you know, art of animation books that I still read and, and look through. And again, I am on Twitter. I look at, you know, again, Louis Zong, huge inspiration of mine, even like Brandon's little doodles, like your motion comics. Like I yeah. still, I get those, you. Um, you know, Chris Eliopoulos, still a huge fan of his work. Yeah. Chris and I go way back. But I need, need to be like, the thing for me is just like consuming consuming other people's stuff and getting inspired and then just starting to draw and write and doodle in my sketchbook. Like, I, like I've always had a thing saying like, don't be afraid of the blank white page. You can't fear mm -hmm. the blank white page because if you do, like you're never going to get started. So you just got to dive in and just start doodling. Right. That's great advice. Yeah, that's really yeah. true. It's that anytime I start a new sketchbook, that first page, I, I used to be afraid of starting a new sketchbook. And I think I've gotten better about it because I'm just like, fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> Who am I impressing? I don't there know are actually I some care. sketchbooks where I've, I think on the first page I've done like, like I'll purposely will write things like a little doodle of somebody looking very yes. like yeah. worried and saying like, you've already fucked up this sketchbook or like, yeah, I did that once too. Yeah. <laughs> purposely scribble and say like the first page is ruined, you know? So I, I, yep. and again, I've been drawing more recently on, on scraps of eight and a half by 11 because it's so non-precious. It's like, mm -hmm. I could throw these away and these are for me and kind of a meditative process of just like starting to do something. Um, versus being in a sketchbook and feeling like it's too precious. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's great. I actually really relate to that with like, I love composition books, like the lined ones, because like, it's the same. It's just like, well, this cost me just like, I don't know, $2 to buy. It's fine. I can, I, <laughs> I can rip some pages. It's okay. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> and someone on the podcast also before said that they had a teacher that would make them cross out every single page, have like a big cross through the pages, huh. just to kind of like 
like lower like the value so that you like the artist wouldn't feel as pressured to perform on in the pages <laughs> interesting yeah 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 I, I i used to be better about that i used to have little yeah i would buy like the little uh composition books that are like i don't know four by yeah. two or oh, something yeah, yeah, yeah. and and yeah in college and i had a stack of those and i would just like have them with me all the time they, yeah. they would get so mangled but I would just do little sketches in them and I stopped doing that and I don't know why because it, it was like kind of liberating and I had a, I came up with a lot of shit. I, just I do agree I that like uh, yeah. having a, like a notebook with you at all time I and I feel it, I, I really feel it as well. Like when I stop doing it, I start, my mood gets down a little bit because yeah. I don't feel like I have that space of like, you know, because it's a space that's just for you. So it's kind of like your, like your own like personal private sandbox yeah. which yeah. feels really nice it is it's like a diary i man i yeah. gotta do that i gotta start doing that you're just making me remember how i how much fun i used to have drawing i forgot. i don't know <laughs> i don't i mean here's the thing like I, you know i went through last year at the beginning of the pandemic i went through and I, I, again i'm happy to send you some of the stuff i went through like a phase of like drawing and Please procreate do. and like like there was a there was a point where i was just trying to draw with like you know no line because i love my uniball pens of just like ink and paper that's yeah that is like mm -hmm. you can get into this flow of drawing where you can't erase anything you can't second guess anything you put yeah. down words that are kind of coming from somewhere where you don't really understand but they end up meaning something and they end up like helping form mm -hmm. an idea or in procreate everything is undoable and it's where yeah. I feel like I start to kind of self edit. And so I have recently over the last month just started to just like paper and ink, um, sometimes a black color pencil, Prismacolor pencil. And it's just like, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just jamming. Like this is, this is, I, this isn't for the internet. Fuck Instagram, fuck followers. <laughs> this is for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for yourself. I do agree yeah. that like, for some reason, for me, when I try to write dialogue for comics or when I try to write, it's easier for me to do it on paper because then I can cross out the bad dialogue. Whereas when oh, I'm sure. in front of like a Google, Google document or on the computer, knowing that I can press the backspace uh, key, yeah. just I feel like I don't get anything done. I feel like the easier way for me to get stuff out is either just write it out on paper so then I can have all the different versions of what went through my brain or use Google like text to voice, uh, voice to text because then I can just blah and then I can edit it when it's like when I finally got it all out. I yeah. agree. Yeah, so I, I fully really agree. It's like we said, got to keep it loose. Yeah. yeah. That's the best way to uh, not get like burnt out and overwhelmed. I should take my own advice. <laughs> Gene, I'm going to, I'm going to haunt you on Twitter and say show me your show me your composition notebook <laughs> i have a i have a, such a thing about showing work that's not polished and finished and then like everyone's like wow your stuff's so clean and so great i'm like yeah but i'm i'm so burnt out because i can't let go of that um restraint i put on myself and so i i need, I need to work through that this is this is my therapy i'm the opposite i it's really hard for me yeah you to... are it's really hard for me to stick to something and make it extremely polished. Like for me, I'm kind of like the, you know, that like 80%, 20% rule is like, yeah. I'm, I'm all about the 80%, like the 20%. I'm like, mm -mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're complete opposites in that way. It's really, it's really, funny. I, I, so I had a, I had a figure drawing teacher in college who changed the way I drew like fundamentally, like, mm. you know, I was much more intentional where it was like and she was like loosen up like your your hands should mm -hmm. always be moving your arms should always be moving and like feel the energy this is again like this is almost as corny as hercules being my moment of inspiration <laughs> but it's, it's like corny. like mm -hmm. it changed the way where i started to draw with a pen i couldn't self-edit it was about the energy of the line like gene i bet your stuff would look totally badass if you loosened up yeah, well, you know what's funny is like my sketchbooks are are very loose. Like I I get into a flow of trying to come up with mostly I don't doodle. I, the only time I like doodle is on this show. So interesting. But when I'm yeah, but when I but I do a lot of concepting because I'm always working on some new show or something. I don't know. 
and my pages are just the same character over and over again me just trying to like get the shapes down or come up with a design or what or layouts or whatever and it's like i've shown people to me that's just how i think it's just like manic like fast you know like just getting little drawings i draw really small um i remember chris used to chris Eliopoulos used to give me shit for that because he was like you got to try drawing big He's like, you're always drawing these tiny little things. I'm like, yeah, but it just gets the idea out. Like, what's the point of taking up a whole page? So, yeah, yeah. So I, my biggest, my second biggest breakthrough I used to draw in little sketchbooks is when I went to a big sketchbook. Because I agree you have that. to, like, I, I used to draw in these little, like, almost like five by five sketchbooks. And I went to the and the shitty Canson, not if anybody from Canson's listening, I love your sketchbooks, <laughs> but those like big black. Yeah. I know exactly what I used to use those. Yeah. Too. And just like the paper is not great. And, and just like going there, like my, my work like totally transformed once I was not working so small. Yeah. It's funny. I used to use those. And then I think over time I've like shrunken down more and more. There's some, there's a therapist would yes. say something about that. There's something there <laughs> where I've, I've gotten like more and more closed off and like, uh, and you know, feeling small, but yeah, the, I had, a, I have a stack of those from when I was a kid all the way through like college. And then I, I just kind of kept shrinking my little sketches more and more. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that, that's all really good advice. And I think that that's something people should should definitely do more of is just like loosen up draw bigger yeah have more fun it, yeah i feel like that's something that like i don't know um there that like we were talking about college and stuff one thing that i'm i am thankful for in my college education is that i like all the foundation teachers that i had were, would give that advice like just keep drawing no eraser i had so many classes where like the erasers were basically prohibited <laughs> uh and yeah drawing with pen and and just yeah moving on i think this is yeah really i don't know i mean i guess I'll, I'll end it here the thing that's interesting that i've come to appreciate working at netflix seeing pitches come in um, responding to pitches with the content teams again they're leading they're leaving those conversations but I think like even on Instagram and Twitter, I think the people that with their art can just be authentic. Like, I think that's one of the things that Louis, even though everything Louis does, again, I don't mean to talk too much about Louis, but it's like, it's okay that it's mm -hmm. not perfect. And it's just like, it's so authentic right. that it's just like, I'm putting it out there this is who I am. I'm not trying to be something that I think other people want me to be. Um, and, and again, I wish like I even self-censor. self, -center, self So it's not like I only post certain things, but not everything. Sure. Well, that's. But fine. I feel like everybody, like I feel like artists, if they're just like, you know what? I'm going to post scribbles. I'm going to post this weird thing that I drew versus like the perfect thing. I actually think they'd probably grow more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, it's not, that shouldn't be a goal, but it also does help, you know, the algorithm, like it's, you're, you're putting more out there. And so there's, it's just better. It's just better. Cause you're, you're kind of in front of people's eyes more. Um, and so like, if that's your goal, then, then being looser and quicker yeah. is better because it's just, you can produce more stuff, but everybody has their own way. So it's like, right. Yeah. Everybody has their own way. Yeah. Uh, my way is done well for me so far totally, uh, man. for the most part, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, a little more taxing and a little, it comes with its own baggage, but everyone, every, oh, all of man. us have baggage. So much baggage. <laughs> so much all baggage. Of us. I mean, all of us, um, no way is perfect, but anyway, so what are your goals kind of for the future and, uh, what are you looking forward to in your career? It's such a good question. You know, I think uh, I'm really enjoying my time at Netflix. I think being kind of mm -hmm. at the the kind of uh, forefront of interactive TV is super interesting and it combines a lot of my passions. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I could see myself being at Netflix and being very happy for quite some time. I think on a side, side projects, I have one project I've been working on that I'm trying to 
develop uh, a, a website where people can collaborate on building fictional worlds. Ooh, that's, Ooh, that's cool. cool. So, so think of like open source software, but open source IP development. So, um, so that's a wow. side project. Oh, that's so great. Hey, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, so working on that. And then I've been writing for the last couple of years and doodling stories from my childhood. And I don't know what they yeah. are, what they'll ever be. Um, maybe they will be something, maybe they're just for me, but I will continue. Like my hope is to uh, publish something self-published, not real publish something just to put out in the world in the next couple of years. Cool. Ooh. That's great. Those are great projects. Yeah. Yeah. I the the idea of an open world or the uh, an open source IP is fascinating because I think with the internet that's kind of becoming more and more of a thing. All of the DMs. And I feel like somebody just needs to break that. Somebody needs to like figure out a way to centralize yeah. it a little bit and give people tools. Again, like that's, that's my great. career is like this kind of yeah. weird space of like creative development, production design technology to do it, so yeah. again it's like yeah interesting intersection of, yeah, of weirdness i love that that's that's your career that's in, in a nutshell <laughs> yeah well cool thanks for coming on the show man yeah. really appreciate it oh this was this was super fun again i'm a big fan i've listened to a bunch of these oh great that's so awesome i'm so glad i'm so glad yeah. to hear that <laughs> yeah i'm really happy i'm glad people like them We've been doing this for a while, and so it's it seems like people are enjoying them, which which makes us yeah, happy. Well, thank you so much. I, I super appreciate it. That was such a fun episode too. Like I really enjoyed like listening to your whole journey. That was like a crazy ride. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the end of this creative block. Thanks to Dave for being our guest and sharing his story. And thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at Creative Block, Creative without the vowels where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks for my sister Clemens for editing the podcast. Please subscribe to the channel if you love our content. I've been your host, Gene. And I was B. Keep being creative and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>